Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here with The Pure Now Show. This is episode number 10. My guest today is Jasmine Osvat. Jasmine was born and raised in South Africa, and her professional life spans from being a producer of compelling stories with Al Jazeera to producing incredible projects with people the likes of Oprah Winfrey. Very excited to talk about her incredible passion for her work. Here we go. Hey, Jasmine. Hi, Mark. Nice to meet you. Oh, such a pleasure to meet you. And thank you so much for taking some time out to be on the Pure Now Show with me. Really appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome. It's always nice to meet fellow producers around the world and to get to know new people. So I'm very excited about this. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I might get a little emotional on this show because your content is extremely moving that you've produced. And uh, the Joyberg and the working with Oprah and there's a certain sensibility and sensitivity around your work that's very human and authentic. And uh, I gravitate towards that kind of expression. And I, w I want to talk to you about that. Uh, you're the executive producer and director over at Chimney in Singapore, correct? Yeah, at the moment. Yeah, I've been here for three years now. So been heading up the region um, for Chimney. Tell me a bit about that. What's the day-to-day -day for you? What's, what's that look like? <laughs> the day-to-day -day is um, mostly budgets and client management, as most producers do. But um, I'll give you a little right. bit of background. I moved, to, I moved to Singapore three years ago. Um, I'm from South Africa and worked as a freelance producer, fixer, um, journalist for most of my life. I've been in the industry for almost 20, 25 years this year, so been quite a run. Um, moved to Singapore in 2017 and I started out as a senior producer um, doing mostly commercials, so high-end commercials for the group. Um, our work is mostly focused on really amazing VFX and post-production. So a lot of our work is, is focused around that. And over time, as we know, you know, things are changing, the world is changing, content is changing. And so we've slowly grown into this um, business of creating branded content, uh, digital content. And my focus is kind of shifting towards creating more authentic stories that brands can use and that viewers and customers can connect to. So that has been my passion for all my life. I try and work with asking the right questions to the right people and getting the right stories out. And so that's kind of where we're pivoting towards. Obviously, there's always the, the big commercials and there's always uh, you know, all the VFX work we do. But at the moment, our, our focus is to also try and bring in the authenticity and brand storytelling. What I'd like to do is go back to the fact that you're from South Africa, and uh, I'm interested in your upbringing, your family life, what informed you through your experiences in South Africa to bring you to this point where you have become this passionate storyteller and that you really seem to put your heart and soul into what you produce and uh, what can you tell us about growing up in yeah. South Africa? I was born in the 70s in South Africa which was pretty much the height of apartheid. My family were very involved in uh, politics as most people of color in that stage were. So our lives were heavily entwined in politics, heavily entwined in social justice and human rights issues growing up. Many of our family members were in exile, a lot of them put in jail. So my youth was spent 
very focused on these issues. And I think that definitely played a huge part in who I am now and where I stand on a lot of issues. People nowadays are talking about diversity, equity, and inclusivity, and it's, you know, it's the buzzwords now. But for me, growing up, it was a reality. You know, I grew up in a township um, because everyone was separated. So Indian people, I'm of Indian descent. Indian people were in one township, you know, African people were in one, and we were all separated because, you know, you divide and conquer. That was the way of the apartheid government. You keep people separated. And so it was really quite a tough existence to be heard, to be seen, and to have people around me heard and seen. I was put in a, my parents were, were so, I mean, bless them, they managed to put me in a private school. And at that time, private schools only took a very small group of non-white children. So I was put in the school of majority white children, and I was only one of 20 non-white children in the school. So there I had to really work very hard to be seen, be heard, be accepted, you know, um, and it, it really propelled me into this understanding of how we bring people together and how we allow people's voices to be heard because it was such a tough time for me. And then, you know, times change and you grow up and you, you, you gain understanding of how to work the system, how to work people around you, how to manage the spaces you're in. And my biggest lesson in life was having mentors, people, men, white males. And for instance, I had a, an amazing mentor. His name was Mike Yelseth, who was a, a white male who came from a very... Um, a very white family in South Africa, but he really took the time to get to know me, you know? He really took the time to get to know me, to get to understand what I wanted, and gave me a chance. He gave me opportunities that I don't think I ever would have had growing up in South Africa, being not only a person of color, but being a female uh, in, in the television and production industries. So that was a really big chunk of, of, of growth for me, working with Mike and having his mentorship and his guidance. And again, it was this idea of, you know, he saw me, he heard me, he asked me the questions that needed to be asked to see me grow. And those lessons I've kind of taken with me throughout my journey, and it's always become, everyone I sit with and meet with, everyone I work with, every story I want to tell is ensuring that that person is, is heard and seen and that their growth to their next step, be it whatever, you know, be it um, if it's a production and you're working with a producer, if it's a director, if it's the talent, everyone there needs to be heard and seen and recognized for who they are because all of that really comes into making something amazing. Um, so, you know, those lessons kind of pulled me through to where I am now. Yeah, I mean, South Africa is, you know, it's, a, it's just, you know, it's my heart. I get very emotional when I talk about home, being far from home now. Uh, with all the chaos and happening, and uh, my voice starts shaking, but it's it's uh, it's home, and, and there's a lot happening there, and I and I wish I was back home, you know, to to be a part of the, the changes that need to happen. But there's other reasons that I'm here, uh, and my reasons are to work hard in order to help people back home with what I with what I learn and what I do here. So yeah, that's a little bit about where I come from. So, like you said, not only being a person of color, but being a female, very challenging in the world to be recognized, taken seriously, to be given the opportunities necessary for you to make the impact that you want to make and to do the storytelling that you want to tell. As a, a little girl, being immersed in this very complex, challenging environment, 
when did it start to occur to you that you wanted to move in this direction, that you wanted to tell the stories, that you wanted to have a voice and, and be able to express yourself and share so other people could get in on the story and become part of that story? Yeah. You know, I think the idea of, of telling people's stories or their truth or telling their journeys has always been a part of my life, right? Like, um, I remember my dad and my uncles conveying stories of issues around social justice or human rights issues. So it was always conveyed. And so that idea was always there, you know, retelling the stories in order to make change has always been there. In terms of, you know, me getting into the television industry, when I, it was so, it's so funny, actually. I was a really young mom. I fell pregnant when I was 19 with my daughter, Leah. And um, I decided that I would become a Montessori nursery school teacher so that I could learn and understand the best around child pedagogy and the under, understanding of, of children and also spend time with her, you know. So I started as a Montessori teacher, and it was very funny. A friend of mine who worked, uh, who once was one of the parents, worked at Ogilvy, and at that time in South Africa, Ogilvy Mather, and she sent me a, a message going, hey, I've got this radio script. Can you, can you please help me? Because I know you're really good at writing. And so I wrote this radio script, and it got passed, and Ogilvy loved it. And so I started moonlighting as a copywriter for Ogilvy while working in a Montessori nursery school. And so from that point on, it was like, wow, I know, how to, I know how to convert these ideas into stories that people can relate to. And at that point, it gave me the confidence to move on. And so from that point, I knew I had the ability. I think, you know, jumping a few years ahead of that, when I started working for production companies as a fixer, people would call me because I was really connected on the ground, connected to the people, I was really connected to movements, I was really connected to culture. And so people contacted me because they were like, hey, you know, Jasmine's in South Africa and she's not scared to go into a township and find the right people and tell the story. And so at that point, it was like, wow, there's also this connection where people are going, they want someone who is not fearful to meet with people that, that people generally are fearful of, you know? People were scared to go into townships. People were scared to go and sit in a drug den in Hillbrow and meet drug dealers or, or, or sex workers and speak to them. And at that point, there was, you know, I never had a boundary of judgment because I've been judged all my life. My family have been judged all my life. So at that point, it was like, well, I can do this. I can go into spaces. I can get these voices out and I can tell these stories. So that was a really big moment for me as well. I think as a woman, it was difficult because there were, there was two sides. You know, the, people always say it's really difficult being a woman. And yes, they are. There's, you know, we, you, we, have, we have so many things that stop us. But we also have this amazing feminine power and feminine energy that, that pushes us and gives us access to spaces, which we use, you know. I don't think there are moments in my life that at any point to tell a story, being a woman has stopped me. It has actually given me more, more insight and the softness and the gentleness and the empathy that I think women carry to then tell that story. So in that way, that, that really helped me. In terms of working in spaces that were either dangerous as a woman or with just with a very male-dominated crew, that had its own trickiness. But again, I stood always firm in my confidence of 
I am here to deliver your truth. I'm here to tell the story and people respected that. And so, you know, my male colleagues and the people that I was working with always respected that. And so these stories came forward. So, you know, there's a, there was this weird balance. There was like this little dance between working with the story and working with the crew. But ultimately, you know, I think, yo, Mark, I think it's about just being honestly you. And, and when you when you tell people what you're afraid of and you make yourself vulnerable and say, this is what I'm afraid of, you know, you're, you're, you're overpowering me. Can we please talk about it? It always helps diffuse situations and then make it an honest, open space to work with. So that really helped me uh, working as a woman, working as a person of color, and also relaying, relaying stories with people that may generally not relay certain stories. If that makes any sense, am I well, just rambling? You just, uh... <laughs> It, it, no, you're not. And I wish I would have heard that yesterday, to be honest with you. I really could have used that, that bit about being afraid of something and acknowledging it with somebody and letting them know that it's okay yeah. and giving them the space to feel not persecuted about it, but be able to openly talk about it and not be afraid of the reaction because of it. Exactly. And I think that's exactly. something that we don't we don't do for each other. It might be the most challenging thing in the world is to be vulnerable, to be afraid and to feel safe. That was my entire existence growing up in South Africa. You know, that was that was it. It was you were vulnerable, you weren't safe. You didn't have the ways to talk to people, but we had to learn. We had to learn. We had to find that. And it was about reconciling and growing and being honest and having conversations. And I think that was really vital in me understanding how to work with other people across the board, across color, across you know nationality. That really gave me a strong base. And to even recognize that, I mean, you were forced into your environment. You had no choice. And it created a certain level of richness in your, even your emotional capabilities that you could share with people and infuse that into your storytelling, which is why it feels so gripping to me to watch some of your pieces and feel, you can, I mean, to feel, to feel what you're trying to convey to people. Even the, a yeah. short spot with Oprah about her leadership school, to get that quick connection and understand that this is empowering to be vulnerable. It's not something you need to be afraid of. And beautiful things can blossom out of that, of course. Incredible exactly. connections. And I feel that exactly. that's what's coming through your work, and uh, which is why I really enjoy doing a little bit of background <laughs> on you and, and feeling that connection. Thank we you. could sit that's here and really cry beautiful. together for hours, I'm sure. <laughs> Thank you. That's really beautiful. I appreciate you saying that, and I, I appreciate... I always appreciate people watching watching the work we do and giving feedback. So uh, thank you, thank you very much, Mark. So you're you're now on this path. You worked with Al Jazeera, and uh, yeah. you know you've had yeah. these interesting little points in your professional career that are a little different from each other, uh, similar and you know have some relatability but very different. And uh, yeah. so you've made some different kinds of transitions to be where you are now, kind of heavily in the TVC business. It's so funny. I must tell you a story. You know, I, I always did, um, I did a range of content, right? Like, so there was always, there was branded content, there was documentaries, there was even reality shows. I've done tons of reality shows. But it was, it was so funny. When I got the job with Al Jazeera, I have a very 
good friend of mine, and I call him a brother. His name is Shadley Lombard, who's amazing news camera op. And he had worked in, in news all his life, you know, covering breaking news most of his life as a teen. And so he got the job at Al Jazeera and he was like, hey, sister, we got to do this together, man. I need a producer who's going to run with me and keep eyes out for me. And, you know, like, got, we got each other's backs. And so I went in for the interview at Al Jazeera and they were like, yes, Jasmine, you got the job. And so we hit it hard with Al Jazeera, you know. I worked with them for just over two and a half years and it was... It was really tough. Working in breaking news is tough. You're constantly on standby. You're constantly going to, into situations that that push your emotional capability, that push you spiritually, that uh, really test you. Um, and so we worked. We covered Africa as as as, as a whole. Um, so covered things, you know, in the Congo. We've got. We were covering warlords in the Congo to uh, people suffering from severe poverty in most of the country. We've got airlifted out of spaces because we got chased by warlords. So it was it was a crazy run. Like Al Jazeera was crazy. But it got to a really dark space um, near the end of my time working with Al Jazeera where we covered the Marikana massacre, which is where the South African government uh, opened fire on mine workers. And uh, we were right in the front covering it. I was I was literally five meters from the open gunfire and, and watching bodies fall from our own government that had, you know, we had fought to liberate our country. And so that was a massive turning point for me uh, where I was just, I could not do it anymore. I couldn't witness the space and I couldn't fight for, for, for the things I thought I was fighting for and then have a government open fire on our own people. So that was a massive turning point and I got really depressed after that and had to leave the news industry. So, you know, after that, as, as people say, I turned to the dark side. As people in the news, news industry say, you turn to the dark side and you go to, you know, the commercial world. And that's kind of what I did. I kind of went completely fluff and I went back into com the commercial world. And it was purely, it was saving my own sanity, you know, it was, it was, it was a way to, to, to save myself. I needed to break away from that harsh reality of, of life um, and what is happening and just do a little bit of fluff. I mean, that, and that doesn't take away from the fact that I ignore the harsh realities because I don't. I'm still very active in, in social justice campaigns and, and, and working with issues that are very close to my heart, but I needed that break. And so then I jumped into the commercial world and started doing more commercials. But I still carry, it's, you know, it doesn't matter where you, if you jump to the commercial world, you still carry a part of what you've learned from news, from thinking on your feet, from rolling with the punches, from dealing with people, you know, from sourcing information, from working with people globally all of that information just gets carried into the next the next phase or the next the next job that you do because a production is a production at the end of the day a production doing an infomercial on late night tv which is what i've done too to a production of two million dollars for a high-end brand it's still a production and everything you learn from every production is carried through so yeah so then i joined to i joined and joined to me after that you're listening to the pure now show a creative podcast for creatives presented by balance so how did you end up with oprah ah oprah oprah was such an incredible gig so i was freelancing as a producer with a company called timeframe tv which was mike yelseth's company my, my mentor and we got a connection from uh lookalike films twins uh nancy and lisa stern 
And they contacted us and said, hey, you know, we want to do this documentary with Oprah. We know that you guys have covered her school and have, you've done news, news pieces on her and the school. And so, you know, we'd love for you guys to be a part of putting this documentary together. And so that was amazing. Like it was two years of work. We covered the journey. You know, we had done work with Oprah before and covered the first introduction of the first girls to join the school. So we had insight of that first group of girls. And then over two years, we filmed their development from the end of their year, their graduating year. So the, you know, followed them through their last year, the end of their second last year into the last year. And it was incredible, you know, working with the New York team, working with Harpo, working with Ms. Winfrey, as we call her on set, was wonderful. She is, she's honestly, you know, like I said, she, there's a sense of vulnerability and openness and truth. And she is not afraid to show that. She's never been afraid to show that. And working with that and seeing how she relates to her crew, how she relates to the girls that she takes care of at the school and sponsors, was an amazing, amazing, heart-growing, spiritual, endearing space that I'm so grateful for. And so we did the piece and we filmed it over the two years and it was launched on uh, the Harpo channel and then went out across uh, other channels. And I think now you can see it on, I think you can see it online uh, if I'm not mistaken. But you know what's amazing, Mark, about that story is seeing those girls that we filmed as young teens, now as young women, because of education, because of belief, because of someone believing in their capabilities and their capacity as just young, amazing women, what they've done in the last, what is it, six years since being out of school, doctors, lawyers, um, amazing producers, chemists. So seeing that and then seeing them go back home to their families, and that influence on their families and how it's changed life for them back home and their families back home, it is incredible. And that's what media should do, you know? Media should show that, how that change can happen and how people grow and have impact for generations. So I really loved that piece. I loved it. I loved working on it. And on the same vein, along those lines, the Joybird piece is what really, you know, I'm all about laughter and comedy and the levity and lightness of life. and. And, and as a tool to bring people together. And, and that is the epitome of that. The production and just the energy around that piece is so fantastic and infectious uh, is what that yeah, piece means to me. I think the Joyberg piece was the first thing I, I, I happened to watch of yours. And it really set the tone for me being excited to talk to you because of what that not only meant to me from just a personal appreciative standpoint, but how that impacted an entire community. And that one woman, she's just so fantastic. And the simplicity of the concept of infusing laughter into one's life and how that can be more infectious than maybe anything. Maybe it's more infectious yeah. than COVID, frankly. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. got that kind of power where, where you know, if, if you allow people to just not be encumbered with the outside of their influences, all the daily blah, blah, and all the stuff, the noise that's happening and replace that with laughter and a sense of belonging and connection how did that opportunity present itself to you and and to what extent were you involved 
with just oh. making that all happen? That job came through very good friends of mine, Ben and Dan Tubby from the Tubby Brothers in the UK, an amazing duo of brothers who shoot and direct. And they contacted us through, again, through Mike Yeltseth and Timeframe, where I was working as a producer. And they said, hey, Jasmine, Vodafone has this thing. You've got two weeks. We've got to set up a joy parade. Can you get Sue Jamison and create this joy parade in Joburg and get everyone talking about it and get the whole city involved? You've got two weeks. And I was like, what? Oh, my goodness. This is insane. But what a great concept. And Sue, like you said, Mark, Sue is an incredibly... She's just magic, man. She's magic to be around. Her smile is infectious, and she really gets people filled with warmth uh, with her laughter. So we got Sue involved, and Sue uh, just helped drive it, you know. She, was, she had all the contacts with the communities that she wanted to work with, and so we set up these, these little joy, joy se laughter sessions with people. We interviewed people that knew her. And then behind the scenes, while we were doing all of this and setting up all these interviews, I was on the back end calling municipalities and police and sending out flyers to people to come to this joy parade and making gold jackets for her to wear and spraying gold megaphones and getting a band to come together to create this amazing track that would be played throughout the, the parade and organizing drones. And it was manic. It was absolute manic. But the idea of creating this and getting it done in a city that everyone seems to think is, you know, gangster's paradise, and to create this joyful parade through the city was just magic. And the day went off so smoothly. I mean, we never thought we'd get such a big crowd, but we started off with like 300 people, and at the end of it, everyone in the city who saw the parade just joined in. Bus drivers jumped out of buses and walked with us, you know, taxi drivers, people who were just like came out of buildings and joined us, and it was magnificent, absolutely magnificent. And again, you know, it didn't matter that the turnaround was so fast. Where there's a, an absolute will to make something happen and to bring such laughter and joy to a space that you call home, we all just ran with it. We had such great support and everyone knew the concept. So everyone ran with it and just put 150% in to create this, um, this piece. Well, and maybe the fact that you had kind of the proverbial gun in your head to get it done so quickly made it that much more amazing because there was no time to fail. I mean, you, you had to no. get things done and there was spontaneous energy. And uh, I, I'd love to see something like that. I don't like to use this word specifically, but like franchise, I could see this as an international yeah. phenomena where people like her are strategically placed all over the world and creating this. I mean, now it would all have to be a lot of it online, but even, even so, what an amazing, connective experience that uh, yeah. was highly unusual, but seems completely natural that it would be a regular thing in every city in America and around the world. Wouldn't that be amazing? Just to have one day of spreading absolute joy and laughter everywhere in the world. Wow, I love that. We should look into that. Well, it can be. I mean, the only thing that stops us from doing anything is us doing anything. So. I mean, exactly. you've already, you've, you've created the model and it was very successful. This is all about duplication yeah. at this point and uh, exactly. cooperation and collaboration uh, for the most part. You're right. You're absolutely uh, right. Yeah. So going back to you being a woman in the industry, you know, we're at 2021 and uh, 
It is, of course, a male-dominated industry in all respects, but you have climbed the ladder and you've developed yourself and created a name for yourself and, and have the respectability. How do you see this industry for other women who would like to rise to the occasion like you have? I mean, of course, you have the unique situation where you came from uh, a certain type of an environment and upbringing that most people cannot even remotely fathom, uh, including myself. I have no clue. Which informed you, influenced you, positioned you, and created this compassionate soul that you have, that you put into what you do. I think female energy is going to save the world. Yes, Not that preach. we can save the world, but... So all I'm saying is this, what are you doing? How can you influence other young females to take this opportunity to leverage their femaleness and the sweetness and softness and compassionate? I mean, women are the life givers and men are the life takers. And we need to balance that out so there's more giving of life instead of taking of life, of course. And it's going to require more participation from women. How are you uh, or what are you doing per se to inspire other than through example? How are you making it easier for women in the creative industry to rise up in the ranks and be influencers like you are and really make an impact, an emotional plea? through yeah. all these different ways that a man simply has not been able to communicate. Uh, and, and we can't, and, and I don't know that we're expected to. That's why we have men and women. We need you. We need that balance. Balance is so important. And But I think in these troubled times and such extreme catastrophic difficulties, that more female energy is necessary in order to bring the lightness of being and the possibility of love versus fear. Yeah. Do you have any stories you can tell about women who have maybe come to you or young people that have come to you wanting to learn, wanting to also yeah. make this kind of an impact on the world? Yeah, I mean, you know, with, with working in, in this industry, so I, I'll tell you, right now, I'm dedicated to ensuring that we have more female representation in all aspects of production and post-production. I myself have pledged to do as well as um, I've started, you know, talking within the Chimney Group and what we're looking at pledging and doing is ensuring that for every job that we put out, there is always a person from a disadvantaged background or underrepresented background put forward. And that may be a person of color or a female person with disability, trans people, like any person that comes from an underrepresented space needs to have the opportunity given to them. So the first step is for me is when we put forward jobs, when there are openings, we always look there first. And it's not even a box that has to be ticked. It is what has to be done. So with that, it's really important. In terms of growing young talent, and, and I say... You know, female talent is important, but again, I say underrepresented is probably a better a better way to look at it because there's so many people that are underrepresented, right? So in terms of that, 
I always, we, you know, we have a we have a really strong team of women around us that we work with, and we are starting at looking at leadership, like basic leadership skills. We don't have that. We never taught that. And as women, even less so. You never taught these leadership skills. How do you manage people? How do you manage time? You know, time. I always laugh because time management for a for a male is generally very different as time management for a female, especially for a female who's a mum. These are skills that we need to teach young women in order to work in these spaces. It's basic leadership. It's how to utilize your female energy and your female space to make something better that may not be perfect. You know, it's utilizing that and teaching young women how to do that. So it's really important, like every day, you know, with the team that we have, uh, I've got a young producer who I work with. Her name is Chloe, and she's um, she's amazing. And teaching her skills and her having to watch how I deal with certain issues is amazing because I get to see how she changes every day and grows every day. My greatest lesson in teaching is my children, is my daughter. Uh, Leah's 27 now, and watching her, she's a she's a producer as well, and watching her navigate spaces, you know, and watching her grow into a, a, a really good producer and knowing how to tell the right stories and how to work with people has been my greatest joy and having to help develop her. So, but you know, for me, it's about finding the people closest to you and starting from there. It's the people who work with me at, at, at the office and growing them there. It's about my family. It's about my young nieces and nephews, you know, what I can teach them and let them grow because I honestly feel like it's hard for me to reach these masses of people, but if I start within these circles that are really close, I can make the biggest impact because then it just carries on. You need your own leadership school sitting right next to <laughs> Oprah's leadership school, your own brand, Jasmine's brand. I, you um, know, you're so, it's so funny you say that, but I saw, I saw a piece uh, yesterday go out on um, purpose leaders, like chief officers of purpose. And I honestly, one day I'm going to be a chief officer of purpose because I honestly believe a purpose-driven life is probably the most balanced and the most well-lived life. And we all need to find a purpose, you know. Our purpose, what is our purpose in this life? Our purpose is to tell the right stories, to make people smile, to get the message across, to share an injustice. Whatever it is, we need to find a purpose. And a purpose-driven life is what we need to start looking at in our companies, in our colleagues, we need to start giving people purpose to their to their lives, to their jobs, um, and I think that's going to be a massive change going forward. You can see it happening already. You know, brands are, are are changing towards that. Gen Zs are changing. They they don't want things that don't have purpose and 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 belief and truth and authenticity. I'm super excited about it. I'm super excited about where things are going to go. People are becoming more and more aware of issues, becoming more aware of how to change things and to vocalize that. And um, that makes me really excited. So where do you see our industry going? Where is the creative industry going? We have a lot of unexpected challenges recently that have forced people to think differently about how they brand themselves, how they market themselves, how they present their brand. Uh, we have audiences looking differently at content uh, there's massive amounts of content. We're inundated 24 hours a day. And yeah. to find those special things that are happening. And I know brands are really starting to, you need to think about what you're thinking, saying, doing, and feeling, and how you express yeah. that. 
how do you see that in, in the industry that you're in now and the type of TVCs and content that you're producing? Where do you see this going in the next 10 years? Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not an expert by any means in mar like massive marketing fields, but I, you know, what I'm gonna tell you is my, my own personal feelings of where it's going. Budgets are getting smaller, content needs to be rolled out faster, People want what is absolutely necessary for them to watch that they are going to connect with, that is either informational, that is either true to an issue or true to a belief that they can gel with. So for us, it's gonna be about creating systems and processes that can churn out. And when I say churn, I'm not using it in, the, in, in, in a term like sausage factory, but we need to be able to put out work that is fast, that is relevant, that is honest, and that is not going to break budgets. You know, we used to laugh about it and go like, ah, oh, quality, quality, quality. Quality is no longer a matter at this point, unless you're looking at super high end, or you're looking at a feature film. People don't want high end quality anymore. I can watch a really crappy video on my phone and be like, wow, I'm so taken by that. I'm going to share it because the content is so good. The information shared is so good. You know, what I'm watching, I'm taking in and I believe in it. And that is hitting the nail on the head. So for me, it's about getting the right people in place to hit the cultural, the social, the, the it's, it's the cultural and social marks to hit those on the head with the right people on the ground and then create the content that will give the right information that is most true and authentic to the brand to the viewer and is also that that gives information you know that makes you think that makes you change your perception that makes you connect my husband and i laugh about this because i'll watch a baby holding a fuzzy little teddy bear for for, for 30 seconds and the mom just talking to this baby about holding this teddy bear and how it feels and that for me is just like wow let's I'm not, I'm not looking at the quality of the video, I'm listening to what the mother is saying to this child, how beautiful her words are, what that connection is with the child. And that, that, that video has four million hits because everyone is going, wow, her voice, her connection to the child is so beautiful, what she's saying. So, you know, we need to start looking at that. We, we can't focus on, we can't, you know, there'll always be the high-end TVCs that are gonna make us go, you know, wow, look at the CG, look at the VFX, look at how amazing that has been. But even those are turning towards um, are turning towards something that is also more realistic. I mean, if you look at the new Axe, the Axe uh, commercial that was done, you know, Axe was always about making the guy feel really sexy and, and, and making him, you know, attract women. You look at it now and it's about this guy just living his best life. So they've even turned that around and it's this cool, authentic piece with amazing graphics. But the idea is, look at this guy, he wakes up in the morning and he's living his best life. It's about him and him living his best life. So everything is, is you know, everything is pivoting towards goodness. I honestly believe like there's good is the new cool. Hashtag good is the new cool. Abdel Aziz from, from Conspiracy of Love has been saying it for forever. Good is the new cool. We need to focus on this and we need to start spreading that in our media um, to make things better, to give people honesty and authenticity and, and really shift how media is showing us humanity uh, because that's going to help us change, I think. You're listening to The Pure Now Show. 
a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. So speaking of your family and your daughter, how have you managed to balance that professional life <laughs> and your personal life, even though, of course, we're just compartmentalizing. It's all just life. Yeah. But how have you well, managed to raise a daughter and and give her what she needs and make sure you have what you need and be able to go out and do what you do and feel good about it all at the end of the day? Wow, Mark. It's so funny. I've got... We've, I've got three kids and a granddaughter. I'm 45 and I, I was a young mom, so it all started out really early. So Leah, my daughter, is the eldest. She's 27. I've got a son, Mikhail. Uh, he's 24, and he's a paddy dive instructor, so he travels the world diving. And then we've got a very late baby who's Malia, and she's four years old. So I've got a, a little toddler running around too, and our granddaughter is five. So we're a big family of craziness. We always laugh. We say we like Jerry Springer. My daughter and I both were pregnant within a year of each other. Um, so it was wow. very funny. But um, how beautiful as well, because we've got to experience this amazing, this amazing bringing new life into our family and watching each other raise our children, you know, um, which is unbelievable and very special uh, for us. But yeah, I think in terms of balancing, there is no balance. It's a very hard space. Balancing family and work and the pressure of working. Uh, you know, when I worked at Al Jazeera, I was on call 24-7. And it was very hard to manage raising a family. And that, at that point, I was a single mom um, raising a family without, um, without support. So the only thing I can say is you need support. Everyone needs support. Women need support. You know, dads need support. If you're raising a family and having a job that is high pressure, you need to be supported by your community, by your family, by, by your colleagues, you know, by the people you work with. People need to have an understanding of your life and what is happening outside of that. I remember Leah being really small and me in edit suites and her playing on the floor while I was doing an edit, you know. And that, again, I think with COVID has really brought that to light, you know. We can work with our children around us. We just need to find a balance of how we do that. And that balance is, is, is how we manage you know, it's not even how you balance it, how you relate to children and how you relate to people. It's so funny because me managing my time with Malia, who's here at the moment, she just went out with her dad while I did this call. But it's about how you relay, right? So I know I've got a call now with you, and it's, I know Malia's going to be all in, this, all in this space. But it's about having the support of my husband to take her out for an hour. And when she comes back, it's about me having the support to go, great, I've got some online work to do. Malia, here's some blocks to play with. You've got 30 minutes to play with your blocks and your paints, you know. It's about managing how you, re how you, how you deal with people. And it's, you know, how you deal with an adult is how you deal with your child. It's about explaining. It's about going, hey, you know, I've got to shoot this week and I'm not going to be home for four days, but granny's going to be with you for four days. So it's the support and the communication. So for me, it's all about, yeah, support, communication, and, and, um, and just, yeah, just being nice, you know, being nice and explaining to people what you need to do. Children understand it as well as an adult. So I think it's just about communicating and being honest and trying to find the best support you can with your colleagues, with your family. And um, yeah, and working it that way. Speaking of that, COVID is certainly this new equalizer for humanity. It's kind of leveled yeah. the playing field in a lot of ways for human beings and has certainly changed us forever. How have you managed to incorporate that? You know, it's, it's unavoidable. 
Uh, everybody's had yeah. to make adjustments and uh, it's, it's opened a lot of doors and it's done things to us, I think both positively and negatively, but how have you made the best of this? And I think maybe that goes back to what you were just talking about, about how you're uh, working with your children and your husband and uh, uh, creating time for each other and, and just making, making it work. Yeah. Versus, you know, going to the office every day and and the old school way of doing things. Do you feel this has been beneficial in some ways about, you know, tightening up those relationships, uh, seeing your family more, spending more time together? Yeah. What has been the effect of it overall on you? The last almost, well, will be almost two years, right? Like 18 months of it. It's been both really difficult, but also very inspiring and it's been i don't even have the words for it mark like this year has been so this has been so hard we've lost so many people back home and being away from home has been really hard for us uh you know we've lost over seven people really close to us home so dealing with the with that has been really tough but in terms of work and how we balance and so i think hold on so Dealing with so much loss has given me the reflection of how lucky I am to be here, how privileged I am to have time with these, with these humans around me and not just you know my family, with people I work with, with people I know. So that has really put things in perspective for me and how short, you know, one, one day someone is, is here and honestly it's it's just it sounds like a cliche but the next day with COVID they not and that's really been my experience this last year is having really close people who I speak to last week and then this week you know I'm at a memorial service online for the same person and that has really struck huge changes in in how I how I, I am with my family and how I am with the people I work with so that being said, I am so grateful and privileged to be alive. I'm so grateful and privileged to have my family around me and, 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 and the people I work with every day. In terms of work and the process of trying to manage COVID, productions will always have issues. You know, we'll always have issues, but as a producer and as a, as a production house, you always find a solution. And so we'll always find solutions. So that I'm not even worried about, you know, this idea of us working remotely and doing this is great. I love it. We, we find new ways. It's a solution. And solutions are good for me. We just deal with it and we run with it. In terms of working from home and having the ability to, to choose, it's the, it's the choice for me that's really good. I love the choice of saying, today I choose to work from home or today I choose to go into the office. And that for me, that autonomy to create the right, the autonomy to create, you know, to make my decision. I, I make the decision of what I need for that day. I'm not forced to go into the office and sit by a desk from nine to five. And even if I've only got three hours of work, you know, I've got to sit there from nine to five. The choice I have while as a mum to go, today I choose to work from home and I will work, you know, from nine until 12 and I'll spend three hours with my child and go to the park and then come back in the afternoon and do some more work and then have dinner with my family and cook a lovely meal. And then if I want, I have the choice to work until two in the morning or not work and work five hours the next day, whatever. It's that choice and running, running your own ship, 
giving people the choice to run their own ship and make those decisions that are right for them. And you know what? My thing is, when you put people in the, in the position to make the right choices for their life and their work and their work environment, they will make it. And it's been proven, you know, these choices, have, this idea has been proven. If you look at the Netflix system of how they work, take as much leave as you want when you want it. Work when you have to, just get the job done. You know, when the job has to be done, get the job done. And it's that idea that we need to start, you know, choice is important. We're not, we're not factory workers. We're no longer in the early 1900s. You know, we are, we are amazing, brilliant humans who have the capacity to make good choices for our life. And when we give people that autonomy to make that choice, they will make the right choices for their life. So I love the idea of choice. My choices are important, and I love having the choice to work from home or go into the office. I love going into the office. I love seeing everyone, but I also love being at home and being able in my lunchtime to cook a meal for my family and sit down and have lunch together, you know? Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, <clears throat> currently we're not able to have the flexibility here in Saigon to go into the office and or not. Uh, but I am, yeah. I'm appreciating, although this is a polarity situation here, that, uh, you know, that we can maintain the productivity, we can still deliver, still have the same effectiveness. I do miss being in the office with my comrades, yes. <laughs> but, it, you know, you can't do anything about what you can't do anything about, and you just make the best out of it. So that's just exactly. all it is right now. And we will, you know, we always find solutions. That's my thing is like, no matter what is put in front of us, there will be a solution to it and we'll find a way around it. We always do. Um, it's just how we are and what is in our, in our absolute DNA and genetic makeup. We will find a way. There will always be a way. Right. Well, we do have some things against us that we've created that are relatively time sensitive in the sense that we do not have infinite opportunities. I mean, we do and we don't. We have infinite opportunities to change our minds and make much better decisions for ourselves and everybody else. But although time is an illusion, the clock is ticking on our world. And uh, we have yeah. made some very poor decisions for ourselves yeah. and everybody else. And I was hoping that uh, this uh, pandemic, the great equalizer, would put us in a more humble situation whereby more consideration, contemplation, and thought about what we're doing would occur. And it has, I'm sure, for some, but uh, not necessarily for the masses. And, you know, we'll see what happens. Everything is, we'll see what happens. We'll see how it goes. Uh, yeah. My next question is, you were in a Twilight Zone episode and you could no longer do what you were doing and you were forced to make a different decision on, on what you do. Uh, you couldn't produce anymore. You couldn't direct, couldn't make movies, couldn't make TVCs, but you had to find something to do. What would you want to be doing? Everyone asks me this and it's so funny. I have the same answer every time and everyone That's at the good. office You're laughs consistent. and everyone laughs, laughs, like giggles when I tell them I'm actually in the process of working towards this. I would love to be a doula and a birthing partner. It's something that I am very passionate about. You know, it fits so perfectly with my idea of female bonds, supporting women through a time that is really powerful in their lives. And also there's a, there's an innate primal aspect to it that I, I connect with. So that's something I really want to do. I want to be able to empower women during a time that is really precious and magical for them and, and to give them the space to, to understand that power of bringing life into the world. So becoming a doula is one of my next, it's the next chapter of Jasmine's existence. Once I leave this industry, which I'm hoping before I turn 60, I will no longer be doing this. 
which gives me about 10 years or so. But, um, you know, once I, once I leave this industry, I'd, I'd love to, that would be my next step, is to learn to become a birthing partner and a doula and work in um, locations and regions where women may not have access to birth houses or amazing hospital care and to be there to support them through, through this time. So, yeah, I've even got the books. I've started buying most of these books on my shelf are birthing books. So if people yeah. come in and they're like, ooh, great library. And I'm like, everything's on birthing. So, uh. <laughs> everything. But, yeah, that's something I, I'm really passionate about and something that I'd love to work towards for my next phase of my life. My last question is this. For young and old, whomever, coming up in the business that you're in, what advice would you give to people who are interested in either becoming a producer director or are currently and uh, could benefit from some of your experience? Yeah, well, I think for me to be a good producer is to be able to read situations really well. And that comes from, again, listening very closely to other people. I think understanding and being empathetic to context and be it with your clients, be it with your crew, that's really important. Being true to who you are and being consistent in what you say is important. Like if you're gonna stand by something, if you're gonna make a judgment call on something, stick by it and believe in it and go with it. Everyone else will follow you, you know, if you are consistent in what you believe in and you stick with it, be it a call you made on a budget, be it a call you made on, 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 on actual set, Believe in it, stick with it, and run with it. And oh, there's so many things. There's so, so much advice I'd like to give. But I think it's, for me, it's just being, you know, it's about being honest and true to yourself. Just be you, be your amazing self. And people love that. People like it when you're you. <laughs> and people listen to you when you're you. And make, make that voice heard. And yeah, just stick, stick with the decision you make. Make a decision, stick with it, and be true to that decision that you make. I think for me right now, that would be the best advice I can give you. And don't be fearful, there's nothing to fear. We, we make mistakes every day. I make mistakes every day, but we learn from them. So we solve that problem, it's about solving that problem. If you make a mistake, find a solution and solve it. I have a saying with, um, with the kids is like, we, we keep trying, we don't cry all the time, we just try, we, we must try, we must keep trying. And that's it, it's like a big thing. We, we can cry over things, but we, if we don't keep trying, we're just not gonna get there. So keep trying, no crying, just keep going, we'll get there, things will get better. I think that's excellent general advice for anything and everything. <laughs> Uh, exactly. That is not spe specific to your industry. That's just good overall human advice from one human to the rest of the humans. Thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. that. Jasmine, it's been a really lovely chat with you. You're such a nice lady, and, and I really appreciate that you spent the time to talk with me and, and share a lot of really very sweet experiences that you've had and, and, and the challenges that you faced. And I hope that people really key into what you've said and take some of that for themselves and i wish you all the best thank you so much mark thank you for your time and thank you thank you to hi hi and your team for inviting me to do this i hope that our paths cross again sometime one day we'll meet in person maybe when i can travel again and you can travel again we can all meet up for for a cold brewski somewhere that sounds incredibly perfect
if you enjoyed the Pure Now show, you can check out more episodes at balancestudio.tv or anywhere fine podcasts are broadcast. Pure Now is produced and engineered by Hi Ha Dang. Special thanks to our media sponsor, Maybe, and iDesign.vn. Thanks so much for watching.